Guys, I have the privilege again today to introduce um, someone who's already spoken on words to make you wise. Ian um, started this series for us, but for those who don't know Ian, um, Ian actually pastored campus and he planted Campus Bayview. And um, now for the last couple of years, he's been working both in, um, in the business world, but he also still lives out his passion of preaching and teaching. Um, and he does a lot of teaching for Compassion International, but also at churches like ours. And he's a good friend of our church. And Ian, we want to thank you that um, you're going to share with us today. And we pray that God will speak through you. Thanks, Louis. Well, as Louis mentioned already, and as the buffer video said, we're going to be uh, living still in Proverbs, uh, continuing in on our summer series, Words That Will Make You Wise. Um, and uh, I, I don't know if you recall, if you were here a number of weeks ago on July the 2nd, when we opened up this series, we did a reading challenge. Um, and so if you're doing the loose math about where we are, how are you making out? Oh, I, I, I got a few hands. We're doing good. Um, hey, I challenge you. We're, we're not even halfway through the summer. And so you, you, you've got some wiggle room. You've got some grace left for the summer to dive into Proverbs. I promise that uh, God will bless you through that and the Holy Spirit will speak to you uh, through that. We're going to be uh, diving back in uh, today. If you have your Bibles either in traditional format or in digital format, uh, no judgments whatsoever, please open up. And uh, we're going to be living in Proverbs chapter 23, uh, verses 10, 11, and 12. Uh, so we're going to read, pray, and then we'll dive right in. So let's read it. So reading from the ESV, uh, Do not move an ancient landmark, or enter the fields of the fatherless. For the Redeemer is strong. He will plead their cause against you. Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as already has been asked, but we ask it again, may your Holy Spirit speak to us this morning. May you open up our hearts, help us have ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart ready to receive what you want to say to each and every one of us. Lord, there are many distractions outside um, that, that carried with us from our week this week. I pray that you would silence those distractions. And we claim sanctuary over this space that we may hear what you want to say to us, O oh Lord. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, a, a little bit of a, um, a movie recommendation for you. If you go to the next slide, um, there is a movie on Netflix called True Spirit. Um, and it's a story of Jessica uh, Watson. It's not a Christian movie by any means, um, but it's a movie I would recommend. Um, and it was one of those movies that I kind of got dragged into watching. My, my wife said so, uh, and so we watched it. Um, but, you know, it, it was interesting. I, I, I really kind of quite enjoyed it because it was kind of unassuming. It was about this uh, young lady named Jessica who at 16 
uh, goes and sets out uh, to be the youngest sailor in the world to circumvent the entire globe without going into a singular port uh, or any uh, assistance whatsoever. Uh, and she takes seven months at 16 years of old to, to do that. So I won't spoil it for you. Um, but for, insta- for all intents and purposes, it's, she's very unassuming. She's, just a, she's not like a, a super intelligent person. She's just a regular 16-year-old girl. Um, yet uh, against all odds and, and against, uh, you, you know, essentially what you might think. Otherwise, um, interesting things happen. So I won't steal the movie from you. But what I will tell you is this, is that it got me thinking about the scripture that we're looking at today. Because the scripture we just read, it's very unassuming. It's very unexciting. And there's nothing like, wow, that jumps off the page at me, at least, when I first read this scripture. But when we dig a little bit, and when we, when we actually kind of use a little bit of elbow grease and dig into this scripture, I believe that uh, potentially there's some interesting nuggets of wisdom, shall we say, in this particular scripture. And so let's dive in, shall we? So verse 10, it says, Do not move any ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless. What does this mean? Well, it quite literally means don't move landmarks and, and don't steal stuff from orphans. Well, I, I don't know about you, but like I'm feeling really good right now. Yes, I've never, to my knowledge, ever moved ancient landmarks. And, and last I checked, if I did, it was by accident and it probably wasn't to steal from orphans. Yes, I'm good, I'm good. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling pretty good right now. All right. But one of the things that we have to do when we're ever reading scripture is kind of ask ourselves, what does this mean? What does this mean in our context and how do we apply it? Well, what I would say is that perhaps this is to look at any time we're, we're taking something that doesn't belong. If we're taking something that is not ours. And any time scripture in the Old Testament or New Testament, when it refers to orphans or widows, it's talking about those that are less powerful or more disadvantaged than you. So it's taking advantage of somebody that's somehow like physically, spiritually, economically at a lower value than you. So it's taking advantage of that position of authority, however way, shape, or form it comes. And so if we think about, you know, this, this next slide, I, I, we, I was thinking about church and offering, and, you know, a lot of times people will say, well, I don't steal. Well, good, I'm glad. I'm glad you don't steal. Maybe if you do, you know, the Bible has something to say for that. Don't steal. But most of us, I think if you're asked, well, do you steal? Of course I don't. But, you know, I would argue that sometimes we're guilty of, of stealing from God. You know, I, I, last time I checked, I've been here quite a few times, I've never seen the plate passed and somebody puts in a 20 and then the next person takes out the 20. I've never seen that happen. Have you? Uh, no, I, I'm, not, I'm not making reference to somebody stealing out of the, uh, out of the pot. What I, what I am suggesting is that somebody perhaps is not 
putting in what God's called you to do? Are we taking what actually belongs to God, what God has entrusted to us as stewards, and not, not giving that forward? All, all I'm doing is kind of getting you to, to contemplate, perhaps, there's areas that we're in breach of, uh, of taking something that doesn't belong to us. There's a, a leadership journal um, that uh, put out a number of things about Christian leadership uh, called Leadership. And this journal suggested, and I, I don't know how true it is or not, but they suggested that one in three left to a continuous or repetitive opportunity to take something that doesn't belong to them might actually take something that doesn't belong to them. So meaning that no one's looking, no one will know, would you take it? Most of us would say, oh no, but now imagine you're, 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 you're behind in your mortgage payment and you're feeling the pressure and you're feeling, trying to figure out how to put food on your table and your, your, your spouse is giving you a hard time and you're trying to figure out how to feed your kids and now you have that same opportunity and it's repeated and repeated. There's interest in just it's just good stewardship practice. Um, at Grace Church, you'll notice that when the offering gets taken up, it's collected and not a singular person goes back in a room and it's not like fairies take it and it goes away. No, no, like there's multiple people that go with that offering and they count it and they process it. Why? Why is it always multiple people? It's, it's not because the church doesn't trust them. No, no, actually the church, the church trusts them because they're counting it. But what I'm trying to tell you is that they're doing that for their protection, accountability, so that we don't want to, the church is not trying to put somebody in a position that they're uh, feeling a little bit um, uncertain. Here's the point. Is that we are all capable of sin. Well, no way, pastor, no way, Ian, I, I, there's no way I would steal. Well, let me ask you this. In the next slide, we see this verse. It says, Romans 3.23, it says, for some, for one in three, what does it say? For all. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standards. For all. I don't, I'm no mathematician here, but I'm pretty sure that's two and three. No, no. <laughs> three and three, hundred percent, a hundred percent probability. And so if we restructure this, the, our understanding of the verse, is it possible? Is it possible that in your lifetime, you are capable of doing wrong and conducting yourself in a wrong way to somebody who is less powerful than you? Is it possible? Is it possible that you at some point were, was in a, some kind of position where you wronged somebody underneath you that you shouldn't have? Where I'm going with this is that I believe that this scripture certainly has a great probability of applying to many of us in this room. So the next verse stands as a stark contrast and a stark reminder, it says, for their Redeemer is strong, he will plead their cause against you. Redeemer. What does this mean? The next slide, this Redeemer is strong. 
If you dig through various translations here, we find in the English translations, redeemer, defender, protector, in in different translations utilized. This this protection, this defender, this this redeemer, the, the Hebrew word, no, sorry, not the Greek, the Hebrew is goel, which shows up all the way throughout the Old Testament, and in many cases is tied with another phrase, which is known as kinsman redeemer. This perhaps is most famously known in the story of Ruth, where you have the story of Boaz and Ruth. But you also see this throughout Scripture. Another example would be in Genesis. And in Genesis, you have Joseph, and you know, his family is coming in and, and you know, need of, of support. And so what happens is uh, that Joseph... It becomes their redeemer. So if we go to the next slide, what I want to explain is what this phrase kinsman means. It could be a family member. It doesn't have to be a family member. But ultimately, it's somebody who comes in in a greater position of strength or authority or have greater rights and comes in and redeems you out of something that you are incapable of doing yourself. So in the Old Testament, the most common place we see this is, for instance, where women, if they lose their husband for no fault of their own, for whatever reason, they would lose their status. And so it's common in Jewish culture that your brother-in-law would essentially add you on, your, on the marriage roster, but in a, in a way in which that he wouldn't actually marry you. You would still be a, uh, a widow, but, but in name, you still have the authority to operate within society. That was the context. And so kinsman redeemer plays out all the way into the New Testament. In the Roman times, slavery was very, very common. And so if you think about it as a slave, you did not have the ability to redeem yourself. Because everything you do, everything you work for, is benefiting who? You or your master? What do you think? You or your master? Master. Right? So if you think about trying to buy yourself, it's impossible. So a kinsman redeemer comes along and literally purchases you out of your position buys you out of that position of slavery and redeems you. That's being redeemed. Now, who do we know is the ultimate redeemer? Some people are whispering. We're not sure. Jesus! Say, who who is the ultimate redeemer? Jesus. Jesus. If we go to the next slide, Jesus is our ultimate redeemer. He is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. Amen? He is absolutely our incredible redeemer. And so within the context of the message or in in the scripture that we're reading today, in the seat of the perpetrator of the one who's doing something that is wrong, this becomes a little bit more daunting Right? You, you, you were perhaps guilty. Remember, we were all potentially guilty of this, of doing something wrong. 
to something who is less powerful, less capable, less comparable. And, and we are guilty, potentially, of doing these things as the perpetrator. And essentially, we're not necessarily just being held account by that individual. Who is their defender? Jesus. Who is responsible for holding you account? Jesus. A warning to us who venture into leadership. A warning to us who, dare I say it, provides stewardship over our families. A warning to us who tries to provide care and love to our children. This is a daunting task. But now let's flip the coin. Now imagine you're the one who's been injured. You're the person who's experienced injustice. Wow. What a a powerful statement. Who is our kinsman redeemer in this position? Who is the one who who is able to protect us? Who is able to support us? I wish this wasn't the case in the church, but there is many of us who have experienced injustice within our homes, within people who are supposed to love us, and people who should know better, and yet we experience incredible amounts of injustice. In the early church, there was an incredible amount of pressure against the early church, and I love the way uh, 1 Peter describes this in chapter 2. He refers to Jesus as being the guardian of our souls. Jesus has the capacity and the capability of of providing an incredible amount of protection around us. It, It might not always be felt, this experience, but I'm telling you over and over again in Scripture, it promises us incredible love. I love the way Romans puts this. In the next two verses, Romans 8, 38 and 39, this is one of my favorite verses. For I am convinced neither death nor life, nor angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither high or, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of Jesus, which is declared Love of the love of Jesus is so incredible. Nothing, it says in creation, can ever separate us from the love of Jesus. Amen? It is powerful. It is powerful. And so I think what I'd like to do is I'd just like to visually just demonstrate this for you and just to kind of give you a, a kind of a visual. If we have the perpetrator... And remember, we can see ourselves in that seat. There is a guilty party. Or sorry, there's an injured party. And oftentimes we can see ourselves in that seat. And when sin is not dealt with correctly, sometimes the injured becomes the perpetrator, right? But ultimately, there's, there's this dynamic. Essentially, what I'm declaring here is that in the next slide we have an incredible kinsman redeemer that is there to protect us. And it's an incredible image of understanding that we have a covering and a protection over us. 
But that's not the end of the story. And this is not meant to suggest, even, at even for a moment, that God's protection and God's justice is not suffice. But in Luke, he records Jesus saying, I came to seek and save the lost, not the found. So I would argue both parties are lost. So Jesus came to seek and save both the injured and the sinner. Sometimes it's a little bit of an uncomfortable feeling. Being, you know, having somebody who's doing wrong and recognizing that Jesus actually died for their sins. It's an uncomfortable feeling. But it's where we get Romans 5, 8, I think is probably, in my opinion, one of the best, most pointed verses on this subject. It says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were starting to get better. While we were starting to read self-help books. When we started coming to church. What, what does it actually say? While we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. Oh, no, no, I can't. I, you know, God, I, God doesn't love me. I'm too, I've messed up too many times. There's no way God can, can do anything for me. That's the point. Jesus died for you. Oh, I've got these things that I did in my past that I'm just not proud of, and I, and I have never talked about it. Jesus died for you. Wherever you are on the spectrum, Jesus died for you. And he died for us while we were still sinners. Not because we were righteous, not because we had earned grace. Because we were receivers of grace, or because we can receive grace. And so we get this beautiful picture of a kinsman redeemer that we can trust, amen? So there's, we talked a lot about the persecutor, or the perpetrator, sorry, and the injured. But there's a third seat in this conversation. There's a third seat. And that's of the kinsman redeemer. You may say, whoa, 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 whoa. Ian, you, you just told me that the kinsman redeemer was Jesus. That's right, I did. But last time I checked... Men and women of God are called to be his hands and feet. Men and women of God are called to be on mission for him. Amen? We are actually called to be his demonstrators, his embodiment of grace. And so sometimes God plants us in a position to be his redeemer on his behalf. And it's powerful. I'm not asking you to be Jesus. I'm not asking you to die on a cross. That was already done for you, by the way. So don't think that you're actually being called to be Jesus. You're called to represent Jesus. You're called to be his ambassador. This is where we get Matthew. Uh, in Matthew 5, where we get this kind of this imagery of being a light. Let your light shine before others. That you may be, they may see your good deeds and glorify our Heavenly Father. This is where we get to shine beyond everything else. I love the way this puts it in uh, James. 
He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and flawless is this, to look after the orphans and the widows. In other translations, it says pure and genuine religion. Remember what I talked about, orphans and widows? It's those that are less powerful, those that are in in a lower position. Pure and genuine religion, pure and authentic religion, one that God is pleased with, is ones where we are able to demonstrate his love. And so oftentimes we are given these blessings to bless others. And so whether we're in the seat of the persecutor or the perpetrator, or we're in the seat of the one who's been uh, harmed or the one who's been injured, or we're in the seat of being Christ's hands and feet, I love the way it wraps this up in verse 12. It says this. It says, apply your heart to instruction and your ear to the words of knowledge. What does it mean to attune your ear to the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to open yourself up? Yeah, I, I love this picture. Yeah, you know, as I was Googling pictures and, uh, and I was like opening your ear up and uh, that, that one certainly popped off the page for me. Um, our buddy Gus is what's on the name tag there. He, he's opening up his ears. And I think it's a little bit like attuning yourself to the melody or the, or the rhythm of what God has called you to. My oldest daughter, Mackenzie, um, she is in the music program at Huron, and she's going into grade 11, and in grade 9 and grade 10, I was amazed, because she would come home, and she'd be singing, literally, she'd be singing these solos in German and Italian, and I was like, how do you do this, kid? Like, how are you singing in Italian and German? And she's like, I don't know. But, you know, and she doesn't speak Italian and German, by the way. We're not, uh, we speak English or sometimes broken English at home. Um, So the question is, how did she do it? And she just, she kind of understood the meaning a little bit from the description of the piece and then kind of attuned herself to the rhythm of the song and memorized kind of the sounds that were coming from those German and Italian pieces. And I, I think Following and hearing God's voice and God's leading is a little bit like that. We, we sometimes don't understand God's purposes. I often say to my wife, Sarah, I've got a long laundry list of questions for God when I get upstairs. Why did you allow this to happen? What are you doing here? Something tells me I won't really care at that point. But nevertheless, I sometimes don't understand all the things that God's doing. I really don't. But we can just know enough to say, okay, God, I trust you. Okay, God, what does it mean to be in line with you? What does it mean to be attuned with you? What does it mean to be walking with you and hearing your voice? What does it mean to attune my ear to you, Lord? What does it mean to open up myself and say, oh, Holy Spirit, What do you want to say to me? How do you want to lead me? 
And if you think about those three seats, remember the three seats, the, the, the persecutor or the perpetrator, the injured, and the kinsman redeemer. It doesn't matter what seat you find yourself. For ultimately, it is the Holy Spirit. He is the one who convicts. He is the one who challenges us in our position. He is the one, oh Holy Spirit, that will identify in you things that don't belong. Ask, oh Holy Spirit, what, what is in my life that doesn't belong? And then, in the same way, he is the one who gives us confidence of his protection. He is the one who gives us freedom over, over anger, over uh, that, that felt of sense of injustice and saying, God, I can't do this. I give it over to you. I trust Trust you, Lord. I, I don't know why this person seemingly is blessed or seemingly is doing well. I don't understand why this has happened to me, but Lord, I, I trust you. He is the one who redeems us. He is the one who provides protection. He is the one who is able to redeem us out of our pit of despair. Amen? And he is also the one who calls us into action. He is the one who equips us with our hands and our feet, equipped with the good news to carry the gospel forward. He is the one who empowers us to do what he is calling us to action. It's a powerful thing. And so as I close today, I just want to challenge you. What does it mean to get into scripture? What does it mean to worship? What does it mean to open yourself up to the leading of the Lord? And then challenge yourself and ask, oh, Holy Spirit, what do you have to say to me? How do you want to speak to my soul? Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for this morning. We thank you so much for the proverb that you've given us this morning. Looking at what does it mean to be challenged what does it mean uh, to be challenged in our sin? What does it mean to be challenged in trusting you in our, in our despair? And what does it mean to be your hands and feet? Lord, we love you and we give you thanks for this morning. And we pray that you would give us the strength, the wisdom to apply what we've learned today. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.